Now, I would like to address some things in this last episode. <clears throat> I said many things that some of you will think are racist or evil or white supremacist. Yeah, there we go. I addressed it. everybody. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to episode two of our introductory season zero for uh, Super Whiskey Bros. I'm Sean. I unfortunately am Tyler. And uh, if you listened last week, you know what the topic of this week is. Also, if you read the title of the podcast, you know what the topic of this week is. If you did neither, uh, the topic is the 2021 Papers and Abstracts for the Tolkien Summer Society Seminar. <laughs> It's mostly because we're trying to make people think the worst of us, uh, because that's what we enjoy. Yeah, um, uh, because what it is is we have opinions that are perfectly valid, and because we are, um, I can't think of the right word. Uh, Straight white males? We, we, huh, what? Straight white males? Straight white males, N no, uh, because we are, um, uh, we try to agitate people. We try to get, force a reaction uh -huh. out of people. Um, uh, there it yeah, provocateur. Yeah, because we are provocateurs, we phrase our perfectly valid opinions in ways that seem <laughs> They're not feel good. They don't feel good, except for to us. Yeah, we feel great. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> Ouch. Hey guys, if you didn't like it before, you know that I carry a firearm every day of my life? <laughs> I didn't like it before. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> whatever <clears throat> um uh okay so um let's going down the the list here um uh, i know you have some of these papers you want to talk about um uh, i have some that i want to talk about i believe i wrote them down in the order <coughs> they appear on the page as far as the ones that i want to talk about um uh so um uh that is um uh, uh and so so when i mentioned something um, uh, it's, so I'm, I may mention I'm going to give the, the name of the paper, and if you and you can say, oh, I want to talk about one before that, then uh, th that that'll make it th that'll make it easy. So I say talk about this one, um, uh, and then you say, oh, actually I want to talk about some before that. So that hopefully that, that helps. So the first one I wanted to mention is the very first one, and that is a paper by Cordelia Logston uh, called Gondor in Transition: A Brief Introduction to Transgender Realities in the Lord of the Rings. I just have one thing to say about this. Um, uh, this 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 one's legitimate, right? There is a true, genuine trans person in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Technically speaking. Yeah, Dernhelm. Yeah, uh, Dernhelm is a woman pretending to be a man. And that is the definition of a trans man. So <laughs> it might not be <laughs> the dictionary <laughs> definition. <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah, this one's legitimate. Yeah, I have no, I have, I have nothing, nothing bad to say about this one. Yeah, there's a transgender Lord of the Rings. Okay, so what you're, saying, what you're saying is moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, the next sir, slash madam. Yeah, <laughs> it's ma'am. Uh, okay, the next one I wanted to mention uh, was uh, Sarah Brown's The Invisible Other, Tolkien's Dwarf Women and the Feminine Lack. Uh, there are two articles before then. Did you want to, did you have anything no, to, to no, talk about those? were completely uninteresting. Well, let me rephrase. The Elizabeth King article um, is mm -hmm. actually a very interesting topic, but not one that I think mm -hmm. is... <laughs> yeah, um, uh, 
Okay, so yeah, yeah, g giving, yeah, give the, the I, I guess we'll mention that, the Elizabeth King article. The Elizabeth King, the burnt hand teaches the most about fire. Applying traumatic stress and ecological frameworks to narratives of displacement and resettlement across cultures and Tolkien's Middle Earth. Uh, just going by the title, uh, given the nature of every other paper on this list, I, yeah. I, I have a problem believing it'll be good. But um, uh, just given the title and that brief description of it, that could really be a genuinely interesting read. Um, yeah, um, and it, I have nothing I mean, to say about that. Yeah, it's worth mentioning uh, that it's one of those things that starts off as being like "wow," and then at the end you're like, "oh." <laughs> and it's, again, not worth talking about for what we're doing. <clears throat> yeah. Um. So yeah. The so yeah. Like I said, Sarah Brown's the Invisible Other. Tolkien's War for Women and the Feminine Lack. Um, uh, so, none of these really... Yeah, uh, so, uh, so the, I don't have the whole paper here because I wasn't going to pay money to get it, so I just have these brief descriptions for it. Um, uh, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm going to read off this the, the first bit of the description. It's, uh, female dwarves or dwarf women are, notice, are notably absent from J.R. Tolkien's Middle-Earth Legendarium. Uh, throughout the histories of the dwarves, including the appendices to Lord of the Rings, dwarf women are mostly unseen figures, featured only in relation to the male dwarves, and never encountered in the narratives themselves. Unable to construct their own identity rather than that of not being male, the only distinctness offered to Tolkien's dwarf women is fashioned through simple biology. They are female and may bear children. Right, so, um, uh, my, my, my issue with that is, um, Within the context of the story, this is true to an extent, right? Because the in, in the entirety of the Lord of the Rings, the only real exception that I can think of is Eowyn. Uh, all the other women in the entire trilogy follow the model that you would expect from the Anglo-Saxon history upon which this world is loosely based, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so the dwarf women never show up because the party never goes to a place where the dwarves live. Um, uh, and that's where the dwarf women would be. They they wouldn't go on the adventures, just like the Hobbit women don't go on adventures. And so if the story started in Erebor, and followed a group of dwarves, um, uh, and they met the hobbits in Rivendell, then we would have met dwarf women instead of the Hobbit women that we meet. Yeah, and, you know, <clears throat> and this is one of those things that it's very important to realize when we're discussing, um, um. We'll just say moral and ethics for for sake of being broad. You cannot look at a historical work, especially mm -hmm. a historical work that is meant to be to feel older than the time frame it was written in, mm -hmm. through the lens of modernity, if we will. You cannot do that because it's unfair to the author. You can't expect <laughs> the author to write in the mindset of a time he's never existed in. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to say, like, oh, he didn't put enough women in these adventures. Well, guess what? In World War II, yes, we finally start to see this sort of thing. We finally start to see, you know, some some women more or less in warfare. I mean, we had a lot of all that kind of stuff. But um, what what war would Tolkien have most likely remembered the horrors of the most? How about the one he freaking fought in? The It'll Great War. Yeah. It'll be that one. Yeah. <clears throat> so you have his lens of society. His lens of adventure and war, right? So, I mean, war is his great adventure. He probably did not meet a lot of women in the war. Uh, Sultana Raza, uh, projecting Indian myths, culture, and history onto Tolkien's worlds. It just makes this person an anus, but it's whatever. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, oh, so this one, 
I, I don't, I don't have a problem with this one. I'm, 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 I'm be absolutely honest. There's another one that talks about projecting other myths into Tolkien's world, and that person seems like an anus, and that person doesn't seem like he's coming from from a place of of <coughs> good faith. I don't know. I, I don't. The other person, I'll get into it. Um, uh, and I'll get into this more later. Uh, I don't think this person is arguing. Like, I don't think he truly, the other person, not this person that I'm about to talk about right now, but the person I will talk about later, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll mention now, I guess. Um, uh, um, uh, Christopher, uh, Christopher Vaccaro. Um, uh, uh, when I talk about him later, um, uh, he, um, uh, I don't think he is coming from a point that he genuinely believes what he's trying to argue. Um, uh, and so I don't know if I think he's arguing from a point of bad faith. Because I don't believe he's arguing he's that way, or if I'm arguing from a point of bad faith, like I'm not giving a good faith argument because I don't believe he's he believes what he says. Because a good faith argument is one in which I believe what I say and I believe you believe what you say. So I don't know if I think he's arguing from bad faith or if I'm arguing from bad faith. But either way, I don't whatever whatever is the correct one there. I don't think he believes what he's saying. But um, uh, anyways, briefly say, <clears throat> Raza, uh, I, I, my my reasoning for for having distaste uh, for this is very, very brief and very, very simple. Uh. Um, <clears throat> if you're writing uh. about this and you're saying, I'm going to find all the ways to project, literally it's about projecting Indian misculture and history on the worth. that's the title of the paper. If you're saying, I'm going to find all the ways to project this <clears throat> onto this work of fiction, I hate you. And here's mm -hmm. why I hate you. If you're a writer and you're writing about this and you're trying to show someone else's work and project it in a different way or project yourself onto it, you go write your own damn book. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating. You're piggybacking off these people just for no other reason than to project what you want onto something else. Go write a book then. Quit writing this paper. Hit cancel. Mm -hmm. Delete your file and write the book. Please yeah. stop. And I've not read the paper, so I, I don't I don't know what was said there. But like this concept of looking at this and saying, like, um, uh, and, and saying I see this in your book, and that's and that's a lot like this other mythology that has nothing to do with what you wrote about. This here is like that. This here is like that. Um, uh, like it mentions here, there are resemblances between Cinderin and Welsh. And it should be and, the, and it should be noted that similarities between Sanskrit and the Gaelic family as a whole are still being studied because they're all part of the Indo-European branch of languages, right? Like if uh, like uh, if if this person is trying to I, I don't know what this person is trying to get at, but this could be interesting, you know? Like this could potentially be because everything that Tolkien wrote was based on for the most part, if it wasn't his creation, it was based on Anglo-Saxon myths and folklore. So if you can find a parallel in a completely unrelated folklore, that can be cool. You know, like, check this out. This has nothing to do with this, but look at how similar they are. Like, I, I think that could be, that could be neat. And I'm going to, and I'm going to say something else. This is my own ignorance. Um, uh -huh. And I'm, f I'm fully fine with that. Um, and stating that I could be very, very wrong. That was mm -hmm. my knee-jerk reaction um, upon seeing this. And mm -hmm. it could be very, and, and there are some great, um, great intellectuals who spend a lot of time finding parallels for the sake of finding uh, congruency, from finding uh, the, the patterns and, and, and such as it goes through this sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Peterson is one of these people, um, and mm -hmm. he does it in, in a way to, to find the core of 
humanity, and that's interesting to me. This is not. <clears throat> yeah, see, that that's the thing. I do think that, from what I can tell just from this description, I do think that's what Sultana Raza is doing. I do not think that's what Christopher Vaccaro is doing, and that's why I'm going to be harping on Vaccaro later, even though it's going to sound very... What he's saying is going to sound very similar to what I just said sounds cool, but... Uh, I don't. I I think that he is not coming from that place, and so I'm going to be what he's saying because of that. I'll 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 soften my opinion based on what you're saying, but I still <clears throat> find it annoying. Continue. Yeah, yeah. S s save your annoyance for for, for Christopher Vaccaro. Um, I have plenty. Uh, okay. Um. Uh, yeah. Uh, the next one is also the next one on the list. Um, talking about the loss of, right? Um. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll I'll I'll, re I'll read this here. Um. In Appendix, I'll, I'll read the whole thing up to a point. In Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings, we are told that Arvedui, the last king of the line of Valandil in the north, takes refuge from the Witch King in the collapse of the... of the own kingdom? Huh. Yeah, I think it's wrong. <laughs> of the kingdom of Arthodyne in the Third Age, 1974, with the Lossoth. The Lossoth are polar area indigenous people clearly modeled on the Inuit, Sami, or Nene. Um, uh, Arvedui lives for a short time and Harmony lives for a short time in Harmony and Mutual Assistance with them. Arvedui even gives the heirloom of his house, the Ring of Barahir, to the Lossoth, and he said that makes this statement, recognizing they are kin enough to receive this ancient symbol of the Adai. Arvedui is able to be intersectional, at least temporarily, and recognize the racial diversity of Middle-earth that non-whites there, in Eliza Farrell's words, contribute their own worth. Now, I have a, a whole lot to say about that. Um, uh, the first one is, um, uh, Arvedui himself, he recognized the loss of his inferior men. He knew they were not part of the Yadine and they were less than him. He said that himself, not in the appendices, but in other, in other spots. He said that himself, these men are less than me. The reason why he gave them his ring was because he was in the cold, he was dying from the cold, and they saved his life and sheltered him and let him stay with them and keep him out of the cold. And he said, you saved my life. Here, take this ring. And he didn't even say, I want you to have the ring. He said, my family will give you a lot of money for this ring. Give it back to them and they'll pay you. I don't have any money right now, but my family will pay you for this ring. Yeah, it's it's a reward for what they've yeah. done. Mm -hmm. It's not like, ah, huh, you... You are maybe possibly equal to me. I've changed, seen some of the error of my ways. No, here's some money. Yeah. Also, it's it's mentioned that the the Lossith are non-white. I assume because they seem to be based on the um, from what they said, they seem to be based on the Inuits. Uh, okay, for one thing, the Inuits are white. One hundred percent. Yeah, like the, the, they are literally Asians from the Caucasus Mountains. That's the definition of Caucasian. They're, they're they're white. But either way, that's neither here nor there though. The oh, only people on top of here and there. This person sucks. Continue. Yeah. Um. Uh, but the only people mentioned as being non-white, uh, the dark-skinned people were the or swarthy, uh, which means dark-skinned, men of of uh, Harid and Umbar, right? The Haridrim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, then it mentions here, uh, yet as in the, the cognate role played by the people of Gonburi Gon in The War of the Ring, the monumentary appearance of the Lossoth is still meaningful. I don't know why Gonburi Gon was mentioned here. Like, he was part of the, 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 the Woses, that was his, his group, they were the Druidine, which are considered to be 
part of the Adine, which is why they, you know, they, which is, you know, one of the reasons why they were recognized as not being lesser men, even though they're so ugly. Um, uh, they <laughs> were, they, the Druidine were part of the Adine, and therefore were not at all related to the Lossoth. So I have no idea why Gonbriyan is even mentioned here. It's, a, it's literally no relation. No, because <laughs> this person read the story and was like, ah, I get it. Racism. And then just mm-hmm. wrote an article. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, there may be more information that ties things together and makes it make more sense. It wouldn't make it better, but maybe make it more, more sense in the paper. But again, I'm not going to pay for this paper. I mean, I ain't doing it. No, I saw the word Eurocentrism in it, and I was over it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, um, if it was see. free, I would have read it. I hope this person does not get any more money. Yeah. Um, okay. Two articles that I don't really have anything to say about. Um, uh, just because I couldn't, I didn't have enough information to say anything about them uh, from what little I had. But you may have something, so I'll mention them. Uh, Christine Larson's "The Problematic Perimeters of Elrond Half Elven and Ronald English Catholic," and Kami Agan's "Harkening to the Other," author Beth Finrod Andres. I think the the Christine Larson one. Um, uh-huh. Most. <laughs> I don't want to start talking about it, but super, super quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like she would just wanted to write something about it just to try to... I don't know. It's almost like she wanted to make a point about something that Tolkien had said. It's so like, hey, how can I try to make this about some of the people who are at this seminar and then mm-hmm. found a thing to write about? It's very uninteresting. Yeah. Oh, and it's it's worth being said. We are, uh, we, we, we are prescribing, um, uh, like, intentions and feelings to these authors that they may not be having, right? Like, they may not even have been the ones to write these brief descriptions. And, like, there could be, like, something genuinely interesting these authors are writing about. And the, whoever is writing the descriptions is the person coming from bad faith. Um, uh, and, like, you know, we, we don't know that. So we're really not necessarily attacking either the paper or the author itself because we don't have that information but we are attacking the information that we have which are these you know somewhat concise sometimes lengthy descriptions of what these papers are about right and so if someone comes up and says hey i read that paper and it has nothing to do with that uh, that's not on us we don't have we don't have access to it right we we only have we only have access to what we have access to and we're attacking what we have access to right and if the person who's writing these um uh what is it called? What's it? Dang it! What's it? Synopses. So, yes, thank you. Uh-huh. So, if if there's a person who's writing the synopsis of these each individual, like oh, the synopsis of the harking to the other. Okay, let's mm-hmm. let's. If this person wrote an amazing article that was just deep and insightful, and someone wrote the synopsis of this article as this right here, well, then you mm-hmm. suck. Yeah, but somebody sucks here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- there is a person that sucks. We are attacking an argument and an individual, but it may not. But it may not be the argument or individual that we think we're attacking, right? I this think is- I'm attacking uh, this. Up next is is Christopher Vaccaro, the guy I've been talking about. I I think I'm attacking him and his argument, but I may not be. But he's the name that I have to the argument that I see. And so he's, and so I'm going to be talking to him as if he's the one making this argument. And this is not necessarily an intellectual standpoint by doing what we're doing. We're fully of fine with admitting that. But also <laughs> the reason why we chose this, um, or chose these, 
uh, would have to be if these people are speaking to this particular group of people with their particular group of interests, it does not take a big leap to assume maybe this is exactly what they meant. Mm. <clears throat> Continuing yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next one, Christopher Vaccaro, uh, article, Pardoning Saruman, the queer in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Okay, so um, um, we have a title and we have a description, and the <coughs> description has absolutely nothing to do with the title, so I'm going to talk about the title and the description separately. <laughs> <laughs> so first thing we're new here with the title is this. First one is, A, there is no pardon for Saruman, right? Period. Uh, the, the book does... You know, these books and Tolkien himself does a fantastic job of showing just how incredibly evil all of the evil persons and creatures in the story are. And Saruman just happens to be one of those evil persons, right? He did, he started off as, like, he started off as the, uh, uh, the craftiest of the, um, uh, of, of the, 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 the Ainu. Um, uh, is Ainu singular or Ainur? There's Ainu and Ainur. Which one's singular? I don't know. It's a made-up word. Yeah, well, I knew I think is plural. So, or I yeah, I knew maybe plural. So I knew, he started as the craftiest as of the I knew, um, uh, but then he fell. You know, he came across a plant here, used it to come in contact with Sauron, and he fell victim to Sauron's influence. And it's not like he's not like he's an unwitting puppet. He became evil, and now he is evil, and he's so evil. He's so evil that not only did he join up with the most evil the most evil entity of the entire Third Age. Also, his plans were thwarted, he lost his power, and then, just out of petty spite, he went to the Shire and murdered and enslaved the Hobbits. He was evil, and he is completely unpardonable. Well, beyond just just what you've said, which is completely correct, beyond that, the book does a good job of of showing a... um, um, it's almost metaphorical. Um, uh, it, there's a display of the ultimate unpardon right after his death. So you see mm-hmm. the shadow, which we're going to go ahead and just say is his spirit uh, for the sake of this argument, but you can mm-hmm. view however you want. After he's he's stabbed in the back, his, his spirit, will say, comes out of his body, looks to the west, and a wind comes out of the west and blows him away. This is a representation of the ultimate... Um, uh, uh, um, oh, because Valinor is to the west, and Valinor Val- rejected him by blowing him away. The uh-huh. Valar are essentially saying, "No, not you. Goodbye." Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the ultimate um, disavowal. Yeah, he looks. To, he looks to the west where he's from, and then a wind comes from that direction. No, there's there. We have nothing for you. So even the <clears> book <throat> doesn't pardon him. So quit yeah. writing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, now we're going. <laughs> now we're going to go to the description. Um, uh, I have to read, kind of read the entire, um, uh, description, um, maybe, um, because, uh, I have points to say for about the whole thing. Um, uh, okay. So here we go. The Silmarillion is J.R. Tolkien's work in which his Christian upbringing and influence can be seen through the story and the characters, uh, that all of his book can be, maybe, maybe the, the work in, in which it can be seen the most, possibly, but it can be seen in all of his works, so that's kind of weird, but... From the song that brings Arda to Mor- Ar- brings Arda to life to Morgoth's fall, the book is part of an original prehistory to Middle Earth and an allegory to Christian mythology. In the Lord of the Rings preface, Tolkien comments about the difference between applicability and allegory, and how the reader is free to read it according to his point of view. 
Therefore, this paper aims to read the Silmarillion character Manwe as an archetype of the rightful and lawful leader. For, for this manner, for this manner, oh well, we will compare him to Shango, the Orisha, uh, no, that's, that, no, that, that would, that's not African, this is African-Brazilian. Okay, so, so would this be African or Brazilian? How should I pronounce this as? I'll pronounce it as, as if it's Portuguese. The Shango, the Orisha from the uh, African-Brazilian religion, Umbanda. <laughs> According to the concepts, well, that sounded African. According to the concepts of the archetypal <laughs> literary criticism, the reason why we trace a comparison between a literary character and an Orisha is to show that archetypes are not reserved to myths, dreams, arts, and old religions. Instead, it still lives in our daily lives, especially in religion, even though we cannot see it sometimes. Manwe is described as the noblest between the Valar, among the Valar. There's more than two Valar, <laughs> and the Chris. one who understands Iluvatar's purpose. Because of that, he is chosen as the king. He commands the winds and the air and represents justice. In Umbanda, the Orishas represent an aspect of nature and human psychology. Therefore, Jango represents lightning and thunder and justice. He is king among the Orishas because he was able to unify all nations. We also can see this archetype in other mythological characters, such as Zeus and Odin. The cultural differences in the archetype representation and the fact that it is still worshipped shows us that perhaps the need for a rightful leader is part of the human psyche, whether in art or religion. Okay, so the the, the, the first thing is, um, uh, I think there's something a little funky in the author's wording here. Now, this person doesn't seem to be coming from the point, uh, doesn't seem to be, like, I don't think this person is speaking English as a first language. Either that or the editor dropped the ball, one or the other. Um, uh, but uh, it's, so it's not, kind of hard for me to tell. But it it seems to me that his comparison between Manwe and Django Unta Unchained seems to be a little funky. Because mm -hmm. it sounds like he's saying this: Professor Tolkien wanted his writings and characters to be based on concepts and characters of Christianity, but I want to think it's based on this other random retarded thing instead. <laughs> so therefore, <laughs> you know, like that, that that's what that sounds like to me, right? See, this is the I'm same reason why I hated that other article. It's the same thing. It's just this is the more in-depth version of what I was saying, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, but but like 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 th th this person, the other person said, seemed to be saying, you can see the similarity from here and here, and this person is saying Tolkien based it on this, uh, and but I think it's more like this, and and, that's, and so that's like that's I, I I don't think it's so true. much. Like, I, I, I don't think it's so much saying, look at the similarities, as it's saying, Tolkien was wrong, and he made it more like this than what he was trying to do. That, that, that's, why I, that's why I have more to say about this one. I'm uh, going to this one. The reason why we trace a comparison between a literary character and an Orisha is to show that archetypes are not reserved to misdreams, arts, and old religions. Um, how, how about this? Um, <clears throat> the reason why they trace a comparison between a literary character and an Orisha is because they're fictional characters and larger-than-life characters, and it turns out the most fictional larger-than-life characters are extremely archetypal. <laughs> and so, therefore, if you have a fictional character from one spot and a fictional character from another spot, you have two larger-than-life characters that are archetypal, you're gonna find a character that meets an archetype that another character meets. Of course you're gonna find that. Which is why there are archetypes. Yeah. In the name. <clears throat> Yeah, um, uh, and then the, the last thing I have to say is he, he compares uh, Manwe to Zeus and Odin. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think it's very interesting that he makes those, those comparisons, right? Because look at Manwe, 
as a, we'll say, as a god. You know, uh, Eru is god, but, you know, as, we'll, we'll treat Manwe as a god for now. And then Zeus and Odin as gods, right? Um, uh, it's very interesting to see how Manwe is and see how Zeus and Odin are. Because Zeus and Odin... Um, uh, the, I, I think that any... Um, uh, any place with a with a tribune god um uh, in any 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 pagan tribune god was created whether intentionally or unintentionally as a mockery of christianity and it's very interesting to see how the, the how that tribune works i i'm not gonna say odin was part of a tribe was part of a, a, a tribune zeus was we have uh zeus uh poseidon and hades um, mm-hmm. uh, but Odin, I can't. I don't know if Odin, unless you want, unless you want to say Odin and the like, Odin, uh, Thor, and Loki. But um, uh, I don't think that was that's the case. Um, uh, it, the the thing with Odin, and Thor, and Loki would be similar to say <clears throat> Hercules, so it's not the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, but I, I was I was thinking of their importance to the story and and their rule, like mm-hmm. um, uh, be, um uh, but e- either either way though, it's it's very interesting to see. Right, because um, uh, if you look at Manwe, he and I don't know anything about this Django Unchained God from this African deal, but um, uh, uh, but Manwe was based on uh, Christianity, and everything he does is looking out for creation. Right, um, uh, he doesn't act from a point of self-preservation or self-indulgence. It's um. Uh, uh, it's it's like you know, Eru wants this world to thrive, and I will, my so therefore I must make this world thrive. That's what, and so I have to protect it from these things. I have to do this. I have to do that. That's what it is. But look at Zeus and Odin. Everything that these gods that aren't based on on Christianity, everything that that they do, is entirely for self-preservation or self-indulgence. If they help people at all, it's to further their own ends anyway, right? And so it's 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 a very interesting to to compare um, a mythology that is based on Christianity to to mythology that's not um uh, like it's interesting to do that and it shows how it's actually a, a truly a false comparison like uh, to to base it on any non Christian mythology versus I'll say Christian mythology um because uh, we have Catholicism and there's a lot of mythology there um, the uh, yeah but um. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, so, so there's, there's so much that can be said about that. Um, uh, so I, I would say it's a false comparison, right? Because it's, it's archetypal and they're similar in that way. But in how they function, how they operate, what they do, it's so different. And you can see such a difference. Yeah, there's a long road to go down there um, that we don't, don't yeah, want. Yeah, we, we don't have, we don't have time. time. Yeah, we'd but have to make a whole episode just about that. It's really difficult to make a comparison between um we'll, we'll say mythologies again mm-hmm. if you say um, uh, the christian god does not rely on people's worship to stay powerful to stay omnipotent if you will whereas um greek gods actually do uh, so there's a there's a, a very strange parallel to be drawn there for, to when the core concept of a god doesn't even match up mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> but whatever um, uh, the next one I have... Okay, uh, do you have anything to say about the next article? Uh, no. Sonali Chundalkar, Desire of the Ring, and Indian Academics Adventures, and her question, Perilous Realm. I have nothing to say about it. Yeah. Um, 
uh, 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 other than uh, referencing something that they said yesterday. Uh, this person is trying to make the seem like the hobbits are Indian, um, uh, and that's. Uh, but but this, this is funny though. I have to read this sentence from that from that article. Going back to to last week, right when we said um, uh, uh, when we mentioned the hobbits being uber Aryan from Yohan Harris's point of view. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to read this sentence from this here. I will instead emphasize the need to unlearn such received imagination so that we can all appreciate Tolkien's radical description and the implications of Sam with his, quote, brown hands being elected mayor of the Shire <laughs> by the browner-skinned Harfoots, who are, quote, the most normal and representative variety of hobbits and far the most numerous. You know, the Aryans. <laughs> you know, the uber-Aryans. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> That's funny. To me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, and and also uh, addressing that because it, it mentioned that it showed everyone uh, like all the hobbits as being white in, in that. Um, uh, of course, you know most of because he you know he's from Hollywood, so most of the things he's going to take are from Hollywood. Took some people from Britain, um, uh, and he took um, uh, a few people from uh, from New Zealand, and unless and he took took a few Aboriginals uh, from New Zealand, um, but for the most part. You know those people that were, the groups he took from. The majority of those people are going to be white people. So yeah, of course his actors representing these people are going to be white. Um, uh, whether or not they should have been a little bit darker, you know, it was you know it's it's easier to get white people when you're in a predominantly white place, you know. And and so it, it makes sense. Um, uh, and I do like though that this article didn't say, um, uh, like it, the 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 description of it didn't seem to say um. Uh, um. Yeah, it, it didn't seem to view it as a bad thing that the people in the movie were white, and I I, I appreciate that. I appreciate them them not you know saying that. Uh, it may say that deeper in the paper, but I mean it, I I it, that, that's cool. Um, I was uh, say, move on to the next article because we should move on to the next article very soon. Yeah, uh-huh. it's worth mentioning. I'm 99. I'm, I refuse. I'm gonna die on this hill. <clears throat> I am going to say the only reason why we're seeing so many. Like, percentage-wise, there's a fair number of people trying to argue um, uh, the Indianness, if you will, of some of Tolkien's stuff in a couple, in more than one of these articles. So, I present to you, this is only because the, um, uh, shall we say, um, uh, doubles for the Hobbits were all Indian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> Also, like, if, if you want to talk about... Absolutely, huh? but still. <laughs> if, 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 if you want to talk about um, uh, Tolkien being racist, uh, you know, why talk about Lord of the Rings, right? He literally wrote a short story in which the main character was named Niggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if, if, if you're going to mention him, if, if you want to say he's racist, which, you know, obviously he wasn't, but if you want to say he was, use that. <laughs> yeah, point to the obvious one. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, I only have three other ones that I wanted to talk about. Um. Uh, so I'll, I'll mention the ones that I don't want to talk about, uh, and then you, so you can know if you wanted to talk about them or not. Um. Uh, I didn't want to talk about Joel Mariner, uh, Hidden Visions, Iconographies of Alterity in Soviet Bloc illustrations for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um. Uh, and I didn't want to talk about Eric Reinders' uh, questions of caste in the Lord of the Rings and its multiple Chinese translations. Sure. Because I don't care about the Chinese translations, right? Obviously, the Chinese are if, when the Chinese do something that, something that isn't from the West, they're gonna screw it up. 
You know, <laughs> the Chinese hate the West and they're going to screw it up. So obviously, the you know the Chinese translations are going to be screwed up. All right, and that's Sean's hot take of the day. <laughs> I hate China as a whole. <laughs> I love the people. Chinese people are great. As a whole, I hate China. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really, but <laughs> how's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so the, 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 the first of the last three I want to talk about is Robin Reed. Queer atheist agnostics and animists, oh my. Um, oh my. Uh, so here's here's I, I I don't I don't get this. Um, uh, the first sentence. Um, uh, well I guess I have to read the full first two paragraphs. Oh, I guess I have to read the whole thing. I have to read the whole thing. It's th- it's three short paragraphs though. This presentation is part of a larger project I began in 2018 that asked the question of how fans of J.R. Tolkien's Legendarium, who are atheists, agnostics, animists, or part of the New Age movement, interpret his work. Okay, that right there, by the way. Uh, there, there you go. Answer Because it wanted to answer a question. That's a question that nobody asked. You know? <laughs> no, no one really cares. Um, uh, no, no, yeah, whatever. Using a mixed methodology approach, I administered an online survey approved by my university institutional review board asking for basic demographic information and respondents' answers to open-ended questions. The questions allowed respondents to describe their beliefs or lack of belief, their experiences with and responses to organized religion, if any, their history of reading and interpreting Tolkien's work, and their responses to the tendency in popular and academic thought to assume that Tolkien's Christian beliefs must shape readers' interpretation of his work. Now I will. I do have one positive thing to say about this. Uh, this chick legitimately used an Oxford comma uh, during this discourse, and I have to give her props for that. And people don't do that anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> um, uh, that's the only good thing I have to say, Bo. <laughs> uh, next paragraph. Uh, I circulated information to groups interested in Tolkien on social media and collected 113 completed surveys between December 1st, 2018, and January 31st, 2019. In my first round of analysis, I identified three groups based on how they answered the first question. Atheists, who make up 44% of the respondents, agnostics, 30%, and a third group who make up 26%. The third group were those who identified connect- those who identified connections to a range of specific religious, spiritual, or philosophical movements, acknowledging the fuzzy boundaries between those concepts. This last group includes animists, as well as pagans, polytheists, pagans and polytheists like that's the definition of pagan is polytheist like i i guess people think of paganism as its own religion now this nature worshiping thing but the legitimate definition of pagan is pol is polytheistic one quote nominal buddhist one quote recovering catholic one deist as well as humanists and skeptics um uh, okay This presentation will focus on how the 34% of the respondents who identified themselves as asexual, bisexual, gay, lesbian, pansexual, or queer, and their responses to the questions about their experiences with religious institutions, their favorite works, what makes Tolkien's work important to them, and how they deal with the assumption that his religious beliefs play a significant role in interpreting his work. Okay, so... uh, I want to start with something here. Right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And this is something I... It's the reason why I don't even care mm-hmm. what anything in this sur- this these surveys could possibly say. Uh-huh. This has to be the most skewed group mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Ever. Um. Yeah. Because uh, well, uh, she she uh, Robin is typically a girl's name, so I'll say she. I don't know. 
um, uh, it went to um, uh, <clears throat> uh, went to part of the university who are specifically atheist, agnostics, animists, or part of the New Age movement. Had to. Um, uh, and and well, that, that's what it says at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Ask the question how this group interpret his work. Um, uh, then it goes down to the bottom here. It says 34% of the respondents identified themselves as asexual, bisexual, gay, lesbian, pansexual, or queer. Um, uh, so here's what's interesting to me, right? 5.6% of the population are LGBTWTF. Um, um, but somehow, in this perfectly normal study of perfectly normal people, there's a gay population density that is six times greater than the average. But that's right. It. That's what I'm saying. <clears throat> yeah, the, like four percent of the world is not atheist. Yeah, thirty yeah. percent of the world is not agnostic. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it it's said this study may have was approved by the University Institutional Review Board. Um, uh, but I would say that the sample taken from this university is skewed from the norm. Whether that's the norm for the university, or whether you sel perfectly selected people, whether you cherry pick people from your university, or this group is the norm for your university. Either way, it's it is skewed from the norm. So I would say this whole thing is moot because the results are not to be trusted compared to the norm. Exactly. This is, I have no interest in this survey. None yeah. whatsoever. Nothing yeah. about this would re would reveal. A true take on what the world. So let's say let's say you have a hundred people, okay, mm -hmm. and that's a small sample, to be mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. Let's say if you have a hundred people, you should have a within, I don't know, three to four percent forgiveness rate in either direction mm -hmm. of the actual population's uh, density. So you would not have thirty-four percent of the people being these groups. You would not have forty-four percent agnostics. You would or thirty percent agnostic. <clears> 40 atheist. It would not be 26% of the population being vaguely religious. Yeah. I'm saying vaguely because there's like a whole bunch of group. The, the, yeah. the, the, the way in which this, this survey would be completely useless to the world is off the chart. It's no. Completely yeah. useless. Yeah, well it says here 44% that don't, 30% that may, and 26% that do it in some fashion. Yeah. Right? Um, it it uh, could not be more off. Yeah, but think about the population of the world, right? Not even necessarily, not necessarily the population of the United States. The population of the world. If we if we count Catholicism as part of it, fully 50% of the world, and maybe 48%, but either way, about 50%, approximately half of the world's population, are either Christian or Muslim. And, or, uh, or follow the Islamic faith, I'll put it that way. Because um, uh, I think Muslim may be ethnic, not religious, I believe. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it varies on who's talking. Yeah, but e e either either way, 50% of the world's population subscribe to either Christianity or Islam, which are the two largest monotheistic uh, religions in the world. They may be the only, the, the, uh, they're, they're, they're the only two major monotheistic religions in the world, and they make up a full 50% of the population. Uh, hey guys, yeah, I just, uh, I need to pop in here for a second. Uh, I made a little tiny mistake uh, when I was speaking there. I said that, um, uh, those were the, the two, uh, major, uh, monotheistic religions. And I said that they may be the only two major ones. Yeah, that's on me. I completely forgot Judaism existed there for a minute. So yeah, there's also Judaism as a, as a third one. And that takes up a big percentage of the world's population. Uh, yeah, carry on. Yeah. So, you know... And also, if you look at the 26% who may, they didn't mention Christians. Uh, the closest thing to a Christian they mentioned was a deist, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, and it was also the closest thing to a Muslim they mentioned, right? And so, like, you know, for, for, for that reason, 
I, I have to think they specifically targeted people who weren't part of the major religions. If that has to be the case, you know. And so, you know, we, we, we can't, you know, I don't, we definitely can't trust this survey as a representation of anything that matters. Because you can't cherry pick a survey and then say, look, these results matter. Because now you're officially pandering a survey towards a minority, whatever that minority may be. Um, uh, <clears throat> Like, 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 for example, uh, whites are being very mistreated in South Africa. I don't think it should be mistreated, but also I don't think the laws, uh, there should be no laws that cater to whites in, um, uh, in South Africa because whites are a minority. If a law is going to cater to someone, it, it, should cater, it should be as equal as possible. If it has to cater, it must cater to the majority. So if a law in South Africa is passed, it should be as equal as possible, but lean towards the direction of black. Yeah, so, <laughs> which is a roundabout way of saying... Most useless survey ever. Next. Yeah. Next. Um, my next one is. Uh, uh, do I do anything? Did I say anything about Stars Less Strange? I did say Star. Let's talk about Stars Less Strange. I have a lot to say about Stars Less Strange. Dawn Walls Thuma. Stars Less Strange. An analysis of fan fiction and representations in the Tolkien fan community. Uh, how much of this did I want to talk about? Um, uh, well, uh, tell you what. You you read this one while I'm um uh, so you can know what you want to talk about because I have notes. We'll just go ahead and read the first. Read, read however read however you want to talk about, and then if there's any anything else that I want to talk about you didn't read, I'll I'll read. That's short. Fan fiction and other transformative works provide one mode by which fans from marginalized groups extend and repair texts to better represent more diverse people and perspectives. A process that Una McCormick terms reparative reading. While poor representation of diverse groups is endemic within literary and media texts, Tolkien's works are often singled out for their problematic representations of gender and race and silence on sexuality, making his canon fruitful territory for transformative works by fans that not only recognize the existence of women, people of color, and queer characters within Middle-earth, but transform the canon to recast Tolkien's stories from the perspectives. We need to stop there and talk about notes from that part. Yeah, yeah, I, I, have, I have some notes wow. from that part. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, um, uh, so the, 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 this, this is what I have to say about that part. Um, uh, there is no problematic representation of gender and race. Um, uh, he represents the races within his, his world very well. Um, uh, and they're shown, like you know, said, these people are a minority and they're shown as not, they're not being a lot of them. These people are the majority, they're majority, they're shown a lot of them. These people don't even live here and they're invading, so we see some of them. As, you know, they're, they're, it's a great representation of, of race representation of gender um uh, we see the genders doing everything that the genders do so i, I get that uh, he says he's silent on sexuality um that doesn't uh, i mean like we we actually have characters they there are characters that show genuine romantic interest in other characters that's that's sexuality you know like they they, they want to bang you know um uh, like yeah fairmere and eowyn sam and rosie aragorn and arwen uh uh tom bombadil and uh, uh goldberry uh, like the, the, that, right there. Like that, that. That's the cutest relationship in all of fiction. It's Tom Bombadil and Goldberry. It's pretty adorable. Yeah. Um. Uh, and I, you, you can't. You know that that doesn't make any sense. That argument makes zero sense to me. Problematic representations of gender, race, and science, sexuality. But you know that doesn't make any sense at all because that's it's it's, you know, objectively false in this case. Um, uh, it says it makes his canon fruitful territory for transformative works by fans that not only recognize this, blah, 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 but they transform the canon to recast Tolkien's stories from your perspective. You know what? Here's the thing. If you want to 
in, in your own mind, transform the canon to be whatever you want to be. You want to create a fan fiction. You want to create a head canon that is different from the established canon. I'm all for that if you want to do that. Like, if you want to say, I think, you know, you know what? Th Theoden's wife died so many years ago. I think he and Bomber should get married. If you want to write a story about that, do it. I'm all for you writing a story about that if you want to. Like, I, I am just, I, 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 like, it's just when you say that you, you just actively try to ruin my enjoyment by trying, by trying to force me to partake in your foolishness and say, you must listen to me because this gives me my representation within the story. Well, guess what? You don't need representation in the story. I don't need representation in the story. The only thing that is necessary for the story is for the storyteller to tell the story that he wants to. So you know what? When you write your fanfiction, you tell the story that you want to. But stop saying that Tolkien made a mistake by writing his story. This is my favorite thing. There's, this is an argument by, um, I can't remember who, who made this argument, and I'm just going to to quote it um, verbatim, and, and if, I, if I need be censored, I may be. But the person said, no author should ever get to the end of a book and say, oh, I didn't have any gays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whoops. You know, I'm, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's, it's, it's so ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, the next section, I'm just going to skim through it. Um, uh, uh, there's a right here. Historically, the online Tolkien fanfiction community has not been receptive to reparative readings with authors who attempt to include more diverse perspectives, often harassed by peers or subjected to gatekeeping and targeted campaigns by fandom institutions. Okay, so, um, uh, right, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I, 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 I have a long rant about this, right? Because, yeah, I'm not part of the fanfiction community. I've not written any Tolkien fanfiction. Um, uh, I did write, like, you know, a similar, like, a, a short fanfiction to fix the ending of, of, of Inheritance, because I didn't like it. But guess what? The ending that Paolini wrote was canon, and I, I know this, I recognize that. I'm not going to say, like, and I think the ending was bad, but I'm not going to say, you guys shouldn't read Inheritance, because the ending was bad. Read it all you want, and if you love the ending, I'm glad you liked it. You know, I thought it was bad, and so I tried to fix it. Um, uh, but... I, I, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not receptive to reparative readings myself, though, you know? Like, if you say, hey, I think Tolkien made a mistake and is going uh, to fix it, I, I may listen to what you have to say, but I'm not, I'm probably not going to agree with you. I just don't expect me to agree, I'll listen to it, just don't expect me to agree with you. Because if you say reparative readings, right, this implies that something needs to be fixed. It's repairing it, right? Reparative, like, that's what that means, isn't it? Um, uh, and, like, I'm a firm believer, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I think the Tolkien's works are phenomenal, and if you think that everyone, like, is required to listen to your attempts to make them better by addressing nothing but non-problems, which I, I think this applies to every community, it doesn't just apply to Lord, this applies to all communities. If, if you think that everyone is required to listen to you when you're doing this, then yes, I genuinely don't want you in the community. Yes, I will gatekeep you out of the community if this is how you're going to be. Because you aren't here to add to anyone's experience. You aren't here to share the love of the subject with others. You aren't even here to watch drama between other people as they argue their personal headcanons. 
You are only here to take what we love and try to change it to match your own political or sociological idea ideologies. You're trying to stick your fingers in our little pie and scoop up everything you don't think we should enjoy and replace it with your little soy meat substitute because you think nobody should enjoy what you don't like. I don't care for that, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings a bit to take your little gay cakes and make a big mess of bacon in it. Because not only is that meat, but it's haram. That's a double ramming for people like you, isn't it? I feel like I'm a much less passionate than you are about this. Because... Really? <laughs> <laughs> Only because I don't want to be, I don't want to be hypocritical here. Because uh -huh. this is exactly what I said earlier. Because if you don't like it, go write your own book. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, also, no, don't yeah, make no, me read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, no, that, that's the thing though. I'm all for people writing, like, if you want to write a gay fan fiction for Lord of the Rings, I'm okay with that. Like... I like. I'm fully expecting Netflix's um uh, uh, Middle Earth deal. Amazon. I'm fully expecting that to be. It's Amazon if it was Netflix. Either way, I'm fully expecting it to be super gay. Oh, uh, some Japanese companies making an anime about uh, Very the original that. Battle Very of Helm's Deep. I'm a, I, I'm I'm gonna check that out. And I may check out Amazon's Lord of the Rings. And you know what? If it if if it's you know if it's goes too far away from established canon uh, to an extent that I don't like it. I'm not going to watch it. But guess what? I fully respect Amazon's right to make whatever whatever they want. You know? Like, make it what you want. Do it. But just don't try to say, I can't enjoy it. I can't enjoy how it is. Because it's not this. Right? Like, that's that's where my problem lies. And if, you, and if your only purpose in the community is to change it and to say, this must be this way now, that's when I want you kicked out. Like, if you say, hey guys, look at this fanfiction that I wrote. I know it's not canon, and you guys don't have to like it, but here's how I would like it to be. You know what? I, I would read it, and I would say, you know what? I don't think those characters are gay. I don't think they work out well as gay. Um, uh, and it doesn't make any sense to me, but all I'll, all I'll genuinely offer as criticism is genuine criticism on the quality of your work. Because you're not trying to change my experience. You're trying to you're trying to change it in your own mind to match your experience without forcing on somebody else if you did it that way. And I, I love that. I just don't want you to try to force my experience to change because I like my experience. And this is all summed up into one thing. Whoever, whoever happens to be, if anyone is listening, just get really, I want you to look directly into your computer, into your, into your phone, into your TV, your channel. I'm look very close. I'm going to whisper this very, turn it up. Uh, yeah, it's called head cannon for a reason. And some of those people, uh, I, I, it's called head cannon. Some people that write that write the write out their head cannons. It's called a head cannon because I'd like to put their head in front of a cannon. Aha! Uh -huh. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> Juxtaposed. Um, yeah. Uh, the next one is by uh, Dana Peter Dana Dana Donna Dana mm. Donald Dana Peterson Deep Rose. Something mighty queer. Destabilizing cis hetero and amato normativity in the works of Tolkien. <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll give I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and just say that this is a word that I don't know and it's not a um uh, it's 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 not a uh, one of those uh, uh you know transsectional transsectional is the word is that transsectional is that the word. Uh, whatever it's, it's it's not it's not one of those intersectional not one of those intersectional made up words right I'll, I'll also assume it's just a word I don't know this person has a broader vocabulary than me I'll gi I'll give her the benefit of the doubt 
<clears throat> okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to give the I'm, I'm going to give the, the the first part of the first sentence, uh, so so you can see where this person's coming from, and I'm going to uh, ignore the the rest of the um, uh, ignore the rest of the the first paragraph and get into the meat of it. So you can see where this person's coming from, though. My project draws from intersectional feminism and postmodern queer theories, as well as recent Tolkien scholarship, to examine how Tolkien's paradigms blah 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 blah. So that that so th this is where this person's coming from on this. So we we know that you and I are going to disagree with a lot of what this person has to say. Um, do, I'm going interrupt, interrupt you very, very quickly. Do it. Because I googled the word. <clears throat> Professor Elizabeth Brake coined the term Anna to no more. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Amatonomon Amatonormativity mm -hmm. finds it as the assumption that a central, exclusive, amorous relationship is normal for humans. Mm. Which is the okay. dumbest way ever to say monogamy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, continue. So, so, so yeah. So it, so it is a made-up word. Okay. I was trying to give it's her the benefit of the doubt, and you went and looked it up. <laughs> no. No benefit of the doubt. No one even Okay. Um. Okay. So um. I'm 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 gonna make this statement here. Um, the first sentence of the next one is completely false. And I think that's funny. Non-heterosexual partnerships, non-normative families, and non-traditional gender presentation are extremely common in Middle Earth. Nope. Blatantly false. But let's continue. Um. Uh, Let's see, um, I have, let's see, how far down, um, okay, uh, yeah, just this paragraph is all we, is all we really need. Um, uh, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah and, 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 and we, we, we need another sentence here, too. Um, uh, so one paragraph and one sentence is all we need. Um, uh, I begin my study by examining non-normative relationships, including Bilbo and Frodo as a non-traditional family. Okay, so that, that, you know, that's technically true, it's, a. uh, uh Two, two uh, he's a cousin in two ways and kind of an uncle in one way raising a younger man as his as his heir yeah i'll i'll, I'll give that that is a non-traditional family it's, but it's not extremely common yeah yeah it's, it's, it's extremely but, common for someone whose parents are dead to live with your relatives yeah but 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 it's not i, I will say that though I'll, I'll you know i this isn't where the person's coming from but it's technically true um uh, Te yeah technically true because the traditional family is what you think of as the nucleic family you know, the mother, father, children. And that's not what's going on here. So, technically true, so I won't, you know, it's, again, bad, it's a bad faith <coughs> argument, but it's technically true, so I'll, I'll leave it. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, then the next one, Sam and Frodo's intimacy and the family they establish with Rosie. Pause. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes? Pause. Mm -hmm. We cannot finish that sentence until we talk about this. Yeah. So yeah, you you know you, yeah the you know the, the family that Sam and Frodo established with Rosie. You know the the, the family where um uh, Frodo is living alone in Bag End, and then Sam and Rosie get married, and Frodo says, "Hey, come live in Bag End, and I'll give you the house." And less than two years later, Frodo leaves. Uh, and then of course maybe you mean the family. Maybe maybe you mean you maybe mean um uh, El Eleanor, right, or Eleanor, I guess. Um uh, uh I'll, I'll 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 say Eleanor. Um uh. Uh, m m you know, maybe that may maybe Alonor was part of that family they established. So you know, she was what seven months old when Frodo leaves. You know, there is no family there other than Sam and Rosie's family. It, this is the process of Frodo giving Sam back in. This is someone trying to be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was a mm -hmm. poly couple in Lord of the Rings? 
I like, hate you. <laughs> I mean, like, like, and, and what, what, who's, who's supposed to be gangbanging who here? Is it Sam and Frodo on Rosie? Is it Frodo and Rosie on Sam? What's happening yeah. here? You know? What's supposed here. to be happening here? And whoever's hearing noises, this is the small child I'm currently holding. So, we're going <laughs> to break this down very quickly. Very, very quickly, the part that I want to say here. Mm -hmm. It is exceptionally clear in the books and in the movies. Mm -hmm. Sam is clearly straight. Okay, mm -hmm. that, it's that's not debatable. Yeah, that's not negotiable. He mm -hmm. is straight. Frodo, yeah, he's he's had the hots for Rosie Cotton <clears throat> since he was a kid. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. give we're gonna give this author a pass based on Frodo's androgyny, shall we mm -hmm. say? Mm -hmm. uh, he's a, there's 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 ambiguity there. Who knows? There's mm -hmm. it's not discussed. Okay, we're gonna mm -hmm. leave that be. <clears throat> yes, they are really good friends. Yes, their society does kind of foster these relationships between people of the same sex. But we we they they obviously address a lot more in the men because we're dealing with the men majority of the time. The male, I should say, they're not men. The male because we see them the most, they're very close. Mm -hmm. That's okay. It mm -hmm. is perfectly fine that two guys who don't want to have sex with each other are very intimate with each other. They're mm -hmm. allowed to have this relationship that's very close. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It doesn't mean that they're poly or that they're trying to screw each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. Stop it. <laughs> And, and that um, uh, that very much leads into the the next section, the next uh, four words: legless and Gimli's partnership. Um, because uh, I had I was gonna say something along along the exact same lines there. Um, uh, because it mentions that honestly, like the fact that she thinks of legless and Gimli as being like partnered in this way, like, I genuinely feel sorry for this Dana Peterson deep throat, right? Because, like. It's one of two things going on here. Either she doesn't have any genuine friends, or my wife is right about a statement she said before. Because she said, girls have friends wrong. Because she, she keeps saying, she wishes girls would have friends the way guys have friends. And I don't know if that's part of it or not, but, like, it, I, and, and that does make sense. You know, if you look at how girls tend to be friends with each other, and how guys tend to be friends with each other... If you have a genuine friendship between two guys, there are going to be a lot of people that are think these guys are gay. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That, just because, like, you know, guys are just, the guys get close. Um, uh, and that, that, that's how we do. You know, it doesn't make us gay. And, like, it's the same people who would call Legolas and Gimli gay, the same people who call David and Jonathan gay. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. like, th those, those, are the, those are the two straightest men on the planet. Yeah. But they, I mean, just because they were very passionate about their relationship, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you think about the stuff they did, like, I mean, like, a, a traditional America would say, wow, David and Jonathan were pretty gay, because yeah. they said, like, wow, that's really gay. They weren't gay. So, I mean, calm down. Yeah. Think, about, th think about this, though. If David and Jonathan were gay, imagine how weird David would have to be to take Mephibosheth into his home. <laughs> <clears throat> Like, hey, I was gay with your dad, and now he's dead. How about you come live with me? <laughs> right? <laughs> An aggressive spin on the Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, and the, the next one, I'm going to read the sentence and then read another sentence because they go together. Um, uh, 
and said, Sauron's relationships with various powerful male figures, whom he often, quote, seduces by taking on a beautiful body. Then down here, and though Sauron's feminized behavior and non-normative relationships threaten Middle-earth at large. Um, uh, so, um, right, so if, if this was the only argument that this person made, I would, I would, I would, I would call this an honest mistake. If it wasn't for everything else that she had to say before this, I would call this an honest mistake, right? Because in 21st century English, seduce almost always carries sexual connotations and beautiful tends to carry feminine connotations, right? And so because of that, Sauron takes on a beautiful body and seduces these people, seduces them with power is what he's doing, you know, um, uh, convincing them that he can give them what they need and that that is a form of seduction, and he's on, he took on a, quote, fair form because it's not his evil form. And, so, and, and that, that, that's, what he's, that's what this is. But I can't, I can't give, say that she's arguing from a point of good faith here uh, and, on that and just saying this is an honest mistake, right? Um, uh, <clears throat> right, because I, I think that this argument is truly coming from the perspective of just a desire to cause destruction oh. and chaos within the community, right? Oh yeah. Like, like, like that—that—that's—that's that's what this is. Like, you know, like if all the—if all that she said was, I think that there could be, that there could be gay or transness in Lord of the Rings because look, Sauron takes on a beautiful body and seduces these people, and that's all that was given to me. I—I I would be willing to call that an honest mistake. But since with everything else that's said, I can't do that. Yeah, well, not to mention, if you were making these assumptions um, <clears throat> about Sauron, and you were taking the words directly from the text and giving them mm. what your modern, um, whatever, your modern interpretation of it is based on how you see the word seduce and you see the word beautiful, then you have no idea how to critically read. So uh -huh. I'm automatically going to assume you suck. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, that just, that just makes you stupid, right? It just makes you dumb. Yeah, and 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 you can make an honest mistake out of ignorance, and that that's that's what that's how most honest mistakes are made is is through ignorance, right? And and so and so I I I would allow this person an honest mistake if that were what I believe was happening, but it's I I can't do it. I can't believe that given given the the further context. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and so that's, you know, the last one. Um, uh, Martha Celise Mendoza. Translation as a means of representation and diversity in Tolkien's scholarship and fandom. Okay, um, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot to read from this description. Um, uh, uh, other than right here, um, uh, right, 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 right here, um, uh, it's translated uh, in Mexico. The official language talking about Tolkien's both the criticism of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings itself, and and his works. Um, uh, it said it is um, uh, in Mexico. The official language is Spanish, the language of colonization. But there are over sixty Mexican languages with over three hundred dialect variations, and Tolkien's work do not exist in any of them yet. And the same can be said about African languages and many more. A more dialectic relationship must be promoted since the works of fiction inspired by Tolkien's works and especially academic research and criticism works written in other languages rarely reach English-speaking fandom and scholars. Um, uh, the existence of language implies the existence of a unique set of concepts and an entirely distinct worldview. Okay, so, um, uh, 
Like I, 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 I like the. I don't like where she's coming from, but I like where she's going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because yeah, I would. I love this story. I love it so much, and I would love for this story to be translated in its entirety and in a way that conveys everything exactly as it was when Tolkien published it. Because I, I think again, going back to the Chinese translation, I think the Chinese version is kind of screwed up. I may be wrong, but I, I believe it is. So it, it, as Tolkien intended for it to be, I would love for it to be translated into every written language, right? I would love it if everyone in the entire world had the opportunity to experience this phenomenal work of literature in the same way that I've experienced it. If everyone on Earth could experience the joy that I felt the first time I was transported to Middle-Earth and still feel this day when I have the chance to fully immerse myself in the story... I, w- I would be absolutely elated for that person. I would love it. If you came to me and said, I just read Lord of the Rings for the first time, I would hug you. Like, you it are, better. like, it's, it's such a great, uh, such a great experience. But, and then I, I agree partially, but no, I no longer agree wholeheartedly after that point. Because it seems to me that she is saying that the community as a whole would benefit from having other peoples join in and see how their cultures affect their view of the books. And that, I don't think that's quite true. Like, I view people coming into the community. This is a form of commensalistic symbiosis, right? Uh, if additional peoples come in, whether they're grouped by sex, worldview, culture, religion, language, well, however you may group these people, having other groups come into the community, uh, just having them there neither harms nor benefits the community, but every individual or group that joins itself to the community is greatly benefited by having given this great opportunity to experience what is, in my opinion, the greatest work of fiction in the 20th century, right? So it's the people joining the community by reading, being, having the ability to read the books that are benefited, not the community that benefits by having them here. Sure, and I'm going to make one point about this, <clears throat> and it's what hit me the most. Sean, what does colonization mean? Colonization, um, that is when you come from somewhere else and join yourself to another place. Is it <laughs> worth at all mentioning this word in this context at all no okay mm. why do people say the word colonizer or colonization in today's world uh because uh they they think it's bad for someone to come from somewhere else and join themselves to another place okay so i'm going to read the sentence again in mexico mm. the official language is spanglish Spanish. Great movie. Great movie. In Mexico, the official language is Spanish. Full stop. Period. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Period. It should say, this sentence should read, in Mexico, the official language is Spanish, but there are over 60 Mexican languages with over 300 dialect variations. That's a great sentence. Very mm-hmm. accurate. Hey, Tyler. The uh, the people who were there before the, the Spanish, the people who came from, the people came from Spain and they met people there. Um, uh, the yeah. people who were there before, uh, uh, where did they come from? They... Um, I, I, I could be, I could be wrong there, but didn't they um, uh, uh, di- didn't they originally come from the the, the Caucasus area of, of Asia, Asian peoples that crossed the Bering Strait, made their way down through Canada and into North and then into South America? Yes, the colonizers. The colonizers, yeah, those people, <laughs> the people who freaking colonized from Asia. <laughs> so for the record, mm-hmm. Martha, shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, colonization is only bad when Europeans do it. <laughs> Didn't you realize these were Asians? You're not allowed to say that. Uh. <laughs> Racist. Oh, man. 
Uh, I couldn't let that go. I could not let that yeah. go. That was killing me. That, that, that's, that's a, you know, like I said before, I love where she's going. I hate where she's coming from. 100%. Yeah. I'm uh, the, the, an, an idiot. An absolute idiot. Oh. But yeah, that that's the last that's the last article on the list. I need to I need to take care of this. Oh, Tyler. That's my Irish name. I asked you. Oh, Tyler. I asked you this last week and I forgot to ask you this week. What are you drinking? The Oh, that's correct. We I I finished it before. Uh we 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 definitely didn't record these back to back. We definitely waited a whole week to record these yeah, and I'm definitely not drinking the same drink. Ab ab absolutely, I, I know I didn't finish my thing that I had that I did that I obviously had this, the same thing. Um, Boy, it's old hammer. Oh, old hammer! Oh, yes, uh, it's, it's rather sweet, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's a bit too sweet for me. <laughs> um, uh, same thing. Uh, yeah, guys, we recorded two episodes in a row, so I could. Uh, it's, it was way too long, so we set up as two episodes. But yeah, I did, same. however, switch tobacco in between the two. I am smoking Capstan now. Well, I was. Oh. I grabbed a child, but you know, capstan. Yeah, um, uh, I I didn't want. I yeah, I I only had the one bowl of the uh, the Sutliff number five hundred two light English, because I don't want to have too many right at once, um, uh, just in case uh, any kind of smell gets on my curtains or something. This is a rental house. Ah, the um, curtains. Uh, yeah, so I, I only, I only had the one bowl. Care. Yeah, I I had a I had a seventeen ninety two small batch, and it's it's rather good. I'm not going to talk about what it tastes like, but you know. Try it out. Uh, in my at, at my liquor store, it's less than thirty dollars, and it's uh, it's the best under thirty dollar bourbon I've ever had. Old Hammer uh, is the same price, twenty nine ninety nine at your local Walmart, even. But uh, this is actually local for me. <clears throat> um, ah. well, technically speaking, it's a it's a local distillery. Ah. well, uh, Oklahoma is an ABC state, so uh, only like particular licensed uh, dealers can sell hard liquor. And the prices are set by the state, uh, so you'll pretty much find himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you, you'll. Oh, oh no, guys! You know I live in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, uh, but they um. Uh, oh, of course, if I say Oklahoma, you know where I live, because if if I live in Oklahoma, it has to be near Oklahoma City or Tulsa, one or the other. Um, uh, mm -hmm. there's nothing else. Um, uh, the rest is but, all racist black land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the prices are set by the government, and only certain people can sell it. So I can't get hard liquor at Walmart, so I have to go to a liquor store. But I know that I can go to another town, go to a liquor store in another town, and I'll pay about the same price for everything. Um, uh, Stupendous. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, that's all we had to say about those articles. Um, next week, uh, which we're not going to record right now, we're actually going to wait until, um. Uh, Wait and, until our next week. Your two, your next week from this, but our two weeks from we're recording our next week from now. But oh, posting the episode two weeks from now. But your next week, <laughs> logistics guys. Um, uh, that hurt but, me. Uh, the next, I believe we are talking. To, we're, we're starting a series on, if not an entire series, uh, at least a, a short series on um, uh, video games based on the works, at least loosely of H.P. Lovecraft, and our first episode is going to be on the 2019 masterpiece, supposedly, um, uh, uh, <laughs> Moons of Madness. Now, I will say this, um, uh, this was made by the same company who made another horror game way back in the, of, of, uh, a lot further back, when, when was this other game made? 2015, the same company made a 2015 horror game called The Park. 
and that was actually a very good horror game. So I'm thinking it, it's, it's likely, it is likely that The Moons of Madness is going to be a fantastic game. Whether or not it holds true to the works of H.P. Lovecraft remains to be seen, but it's made by a, a company that I trust to make good atmospheric horror. I'll be the one mostly experiencing this particular game. We're going to be taking turns with this, so I'm going to take over this one. Uh, why, you ask? Why? I already bought it. I, I've, I've also bought it. I will be... Um, uh, I actually get, uh, gave it a shot last night, uh, made, some, made, made some recordings of it. Um, but in this sort of thing, this is going to be more based... This next is going to be more based on observation. This should probably wait until next week for me to say all this, but I'm saying it now before we, before we leave you. Um, uh, uh, but... What I do is more based on research, and what Tyler does is more based on observation. And so Tyler will have a lot more uh, good, coherent things to say about the game than he did about the about these um, uh, articles, and I will have less. The game looked good, controller bad, much spook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty much the the exact um. Uh, the, 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 the exact extent of, of what I'll be saying will be. But anyways, um, yeah, that is all we have for you for this week. So, yeah, join us next week for our thoughts on and possibly a review of The Moons of Madness. Uh, it's likely going to be an exciting game. <laughs> it does. It look looks for, for an exciting game. Stupendous. Uh, and with that, I think we're done. I'll, we'll see you guys next week for more whiskey and more uh, asinine speaking. Adieu.